0: to another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your guest host, our very own social media maven, Mackenzie Passager. Hi, everyone. Scott Cowan here, the regular host at the Exploring Washington State podcast. And today, I'm handing the microphone over to Mackenzie Passager. Mackenzie's going to be interviewing Jamie McGillen. Jamie is a Tacoma area author of two historical fiction novels, Inside of the Mountain and in light of the summit. So I'm going to hand the mic over now to Mackenzie and Jamie. I'll be back next episode. I hope you all have fun. Take care. Hey, Jamie. Thanks so much for being on today. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm great. So today we want to talk about your first and second novel. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Inside of the Mountain, the first one that came out about two years ago? or Yeah, a year ago? No.
1: yeah so it was November of 2019. So that is Inside of the Mountain, and it's historical fiction um, set in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle specifically. And um, the main character wants to be the first woman to summit Mount Rainier.
0: Right. So... Writing historical fiction, was this a time period that you were always kind of interested in, the end of the 1800s?
1: Yeah, yeah. I really have always loved um, 19th century time period as far as, I mean, everything from like colonial settlers as they were moving west, um, you know, all the way until it's kind of the settling time in the, the further West region, you know, um, even, even at the end of the 19th century, Seattle was still a little bit, not very wild. They were wild, not very settled, you know? Um, and so it's just, it's a really interesting period that I like to research about.
0: (laughs) What was researching the book for you like? I mean, I know there's a lot of information about Seattle when it was being founded and during this time period, um, but you also included the Duwamish people, which are the only Indigenous tribe in Seattle. Um, but historically, their traditions and history has been an oral communication and it's not written down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely wanted to include the Duwamish because, um, because the story is set right in the heart of downtown Seattle. Um, and so they, like you said, were the ones that were there. And so I was definitely going to include them all along. And it is kind of a weird situation now, even politically, like they're not recognized as, um, an official tribe. And so that, um, that only causes problems with like funding and budget stuff. And, um, political things, but otherwise like, you know, people around here, we respect the history and that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, downtown Seattle is where it all starts. It's right at the great Seattle fire, um, of 1889. And so that really shifted a lot, um, historically for, I mean, even just the architecture in Seattle and what buildings were made of and how the plumbing issues were. (laughs) Everyone who, you know, grew up in Seattle or Washington area has gone on the underground tour um, at some point and seen the, you know, interesting history there. So, yeah, so it was really it was really fun to research all of that stuff.
0: Did you find most of your information online at the library from visiting different museums? What would you say your biggest source of information was when Um, researching?
1: Yeah, all three of those. So the University of Washington has a special collections online that anybody can access. It's very cool. Um, And you can look at like letters that were sent. Um, You can see there. It's like the script. They have it scanned in and then they also have it um like the type written because some of them are just like the cursive is so it just looks like a bunch of lines sideways, you know, it's like you can barely even make out what it's saying. Um so it's interesting. It's like someone will write a letter to their sister um and they're like 20 miles away and they've enclosed some seeds, you know, because these strawberries did really well and they wanted you to try these seeds next season. You know, it's just such a cool like little aspect of history. Um, and I loved that. So lots of letters um, and actually newspapers were really helpful. Um, you can also see pretty much every newspaper article that was ever published in print. Um, there's a website for it. It's Chronicle, something or other. Um, but anyway, so it's a government website, and you can just look at everything. And you can look at like advertisements. You can look at like what was published the day after the fire in Seattle. You know, so it's just it's very interesting. So lots of that. But also, also the Washington State History Museum was really helpful. You can actually listen to. Um, like different tribal languages with headphones and, um, just every, obviously it's a really good source of history. <laughs>
0: I'm still stuck on, you can read these people's letters from back then. I mean, that's, I'm a very nosy person. And like when I visit my grandparents and I see old letters, I'm like, I have to read these. I have to know what life was like back then. I can't even, I'm going to have to do that now. (laughs) I will have to send you a link. (laughs) So how, how long did you research before deciding, before actually starting the writing process or was it parallel? Were you writing and researching?
1: It was definitely both. And I think as my first novel, it was kind of discouraging that it kind of slows down everything. Like, I can't just write, write, write. I write and then I get stuck. And I'm like, oh, how was the funding distributed that was given out after the fire? You know, because there was like Tacoma, the city of Tacoma donated money, San Francisco donated money. And so they had this big pot of money for the like, you know, relief efforts and like with, you know, COVID. Um, but how was that money given out? Who got the money? You know, it only, if your business was completely destroyed, only if your house was destroyed. So it's like, well, I don't know. And so now I need to stop what I'm doing, stop writing, research that, figure it out. And then I can move on because that's like, it's like a really plot, you know, focused thing where I can't just keep writing the story without knowing that. So I think that was, it was difficult to slow me down. Cause I like fast, 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 you know? Um, But I I think to answer your question, I did a research before, during, and then a lot after, so.
0: And what did the research afterwards, what was the reasoning behind that? I mean, if everything's finished and written and it's off to the publisher.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's more like um, the little things. And the little things really add up, you know, when you're reading, like um, what what clothing they're wearing specifically, you know, like it, when I'm just writing a first or second draft, I can just say that she was wearing a blue dress, you know, um, but then what specifically is it made of, um, how big is this skirt? Did she have a bustle at that time? You know, like all these little things. So that's going to change how she sits down. Um, it's going to change how you walk upstairs, um, it's going to change how long it takes to get ready. Just little things like that. That doesn't really affect the plot in any way, um, but it does, you know, just, it puts you into the moment. So
0: it adds the feeling of being yeah, there, doesn't yeah, it?
1: Exactly. And like um, the trams that they take, like the streetcars, you know, were they called streetcars? Were they called trolleys. Oh, they were called both. So I can use both of those. And like, where did they stop exactly? You know? And so it's like, okay, there's a stop on Madison street. It goes all the way down Madison. So you're just figuring out like the maps and stuff. Um, just specifically where everyone would have been realistically. Um, so that was a lot of the, um, going back to research stuff, the little things.
0: Okay. That makes sense. I mean, as a reader, you're just kind of assuming that the author already knows all of this information without realizing they have to go back and double check everything.
1: A million times. And it's interesting because especially with writing novels, everything is written kind of in layers Um, because, uh, they say the first time your first draft is basically the author telling themselves the story. (laughs) Um, it's just like, you know, the basics, the bare bones, and then you go back and you're kind of just finessing at the sentence level and you're making sure that, you know, it sounds good. And then you're making sure all the character development is there. And you're like, Oh, I don't have enough secondary characters. Like, does she have no friends? <laughs> you know, <laughs> they Go back and sort of manipulate that. And, um, and then even at the very end, I had a fact checker. Um, it was a Seattle editor, um, who has worked on a few novels that specifically were Seattle history. And she did the fact checking for me, um, which was super helpful because, you know, I can do, my best, but I'm going to miss some stuff. So one thing was I had chocolate chip cookies in the story and those weren't invented until the 20th century, apparently. Um, yeah. So I had to go back on that, but that's an easy fix. You know, what was she making something else? She was making muffins, you know? Um, and then one other thing that she caught that was really helpful was I had, um, I had the book on a Karenina in English Um, that would have been around in 1880, which is the 10-year flashback. Um, but it right. wasn't out then. It was out by the time the story was written in 1889, but it hadn't been out 10 years prior to that. So they wouldn't have been able to find an English version in 1880. So I had to go back and make that a Russian version. Um, and these are the really minuscule things that probably no one who ever read the book would know or find out or even think to research. But it's just like, you got to get those details right. You know, it just make it more fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. You want it to be, I mean, it's historical fiction, but there is the element of true history and historical yeah. fiction. Yeah,
1: so I really like to have the integrity of that, just really as good as I can get it.
0: How long would you say that it took you from the inception of the idea until you finally decided to sit down and begin writing the book?
1: Um, I... I have always been into poetry um, and I went to the Cascadia poetry festival um, at the Washington state history museum. It was held there. I think it was to 2017 or two, 2018. Um, and so I went there and there was this huge like life-size Portrait of Faye Fuller, um, the first woman to summit Mount Rainier. And it just really struck me. It was huge. You know, there's something about not just like looking at a picture on your phone or seeing a postcard, but just like seeing this huge person that's my size. And she's, you know, she was in her 20s, so not that much younger than me. (laughs) Wink. Um, but you know, it just like she just looks like a person like me and it just seemed so real, you know, how you walk into the history museum and sometimes it just doesn't really feel very realistic and other times you're like wow, these were like humans like me.
0: <laughs> it makes <laughs> it more relatable, yeah. yeah.
1: Exactly. And so I um I just really had this moment with this Faye Fuller portrait and thinking that you know, what was that like for her to just decide, hey, I'm gonna be the first woman to summit. And then I was also thinking, well uh, you know, how long have humans been around? So no woman has ever climbed the mountain. Like, obviously another woman has done it before, but just according to like the white European history, it's, so she does have that moment where she kind of realizes, well, I'm probably not the first woman, but I'm the first, you know, um, American woman that will be talked about, you know, historically. So, um, So anyway, all that to say, um, I didn't. There's not much known about Faye Fuller other than she was a teacher and a journalist. She wrote a little bit about her climb and some other things, but um,
0: there's not a lot of history on her at all. When you when you try to Google her, there's always it's just always the same little bio everywhere.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's kind of uh, repetitious. Um, But you, um, I don't want to just create a fake account, you know, of somebody's history. I don't feel like that's fair to her. Um, But I wanted to do a fictional, um, you know, account of what it might've been like. So it's not Faye Fuller's story. It's just like um, a parallel story. Like, you know, what would it be like to be that woman in her early twenties thinking, I would like to summit that mountain. How in the world do I go about doing that? You know, I can't just run to REI. I can't take some master classes online to teach me how to do this stuff. Um, you just have to figure it out yourself, and so that's that's Anna's story.
0: Yeah. So when you first saw Faith Fuller, and you know it became more real for you. Yeah. How long until you started actually writing the book?
1: Um, I think it was probably because I I really like to plan things out before I start. Um, so I wanted to figure out, you know, like who is this character? Who are her friends? What is her family? Where did she come from? What does she want? Um, and so I figured all that out mostly, and I think I had like six or seven pages, single spaced of just like notes and, um, an outline basically. And so I think it was just like a couple months after that, when I started writing it and it went through different versions where like at first she was, she started out as a prostitute. And then I realized that while being very realistic for the time, it would be a little alienating, especially for like, um, even just like younger, uh, women being able to read it, you know? so I just thought, you know, let's just make it um, available and accessible to everybody. So there is a prostitute in the story and there is talk of how, um, kind of the sex work era, um, went, but it's, it's really mild. So it's like 13 and up. It's fine.
0: Yeah. Cause it is a young adult book, isn't right. it? Yep. And I think you do a really good job of, um, presenting her getting ready and going through this whole journey to Summit the Mountain. But like you said, there was there was a lot of sex work going on in Seattle during that time period. Um a lot higher than I actually thought it was because that's also something I had to Google <laughs> out of pure interest. Yeah. Um but I think like you said it's it's there and it's showing that part of history but it's not going into crazy detail like it would if it was, you know, a quote-unquote adult novel.
1: Yeah, it's not a romance novel where, you know, you're getting all those explicit details. Um, No. It's just, it's a coming-of-age story. And so there is, you know, I mean, that's part of of coming-of-age. Like, just realizing all those things. So, um, yeah, so again, wanted it to be accessible and it's something that, you know, isn't going to offend your grandma and it's not going to, you know, (laughs) uh, make a 13 year old uncomfortable. It's just, you know, it's just real life. So.
0: And I will say that my grandmother has read this book and she was (laughs) not offended by it (laughs) and she really enjoyed it. so. So. Achieved. Yes, exactly. Um, so, You go through the drafts. I mean, and you're a mom. So I, I can't even imagine how you balance writing, parenting, all of that in between.
1: Well, you definitely can't do it all at the same time.
0: (laughs) No, (laughs) No,
1: I'm not like parenting and writing at the same time. So I had a really, really unique situation where my son was um, in school. He was in first grade. Um, So he was gone all day. And then my daughter she was always kind of odd with her nap. So she was about a year old. And instead of taking multiple naps, which would be more normal, she would take this one three hour nap in the middle of the day, like this luxurious, like, she's like, don't wake me up. It's like three hours has passed. Okay, fine. I will wake back up and be in the world. So you could like set your watch by it. You know, it was like from one to four girl was out cold. And so I just thought, you know, I'm stuck at home, with her sleeping, what can I do? That's productive. What can I do? That's creating something, you know, just kind of a sacred work that I could be doing. Um, so it, it just so happened that I decided to write this novel and I use that time very specifically. I would, as soon as I put her down for her nap, I would run downstairs. I would have, you know, a hot beverage waiting for me and I would just keep my butt in the chair and write. And so, I mean, with three hours, you can write a lot, you know, like, Three or four you get a lot hours. done, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so I was able to do research during that time, writing, editing, all that kind of stuff. So it was, I mean, it was very lucky for me that I would get that, you know, big stretch of time.
0: Yeah. Because I mean, I have two small children as well and, um, they have never napped that long. (laughs) You know, I'm lucky if I get the hour during the day and I'm rushing to get work done during that one hour time period.
1: My son was like that hit my first, he would sleep like 45 minutes was his nap. And, but at one years old, he would nap like Three times a day easily. You know, I remember that. And it would, you would just get into a task and then he would be awake and you're like, oh my gosh, okay. Um, and so I would always try to make her nap earlier in the day and she wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. And then I'm like, fine, I won't fight it. This three hour nap is fine. So just a unique situation, you know, where it was like I could really have time to focus and I was still doing the mom thing, but like kind of separately. So,
0: right. Because I can imagine, or at least I think I can imagine when you're trying to write a novel or you know any piece of literature that it kind of is all consuming in your mind you know you're thinking about the story and laying in bed at night i don't know going should i do should i add this should i remove that what about this oh i forgot to look up that you know yes.
1: it's very all consuming and it's nice to have that long stretch you know where you can actually like think without getting interrupted, especially when you're trying to figure out, okay, well, how old was somebody in 1882? If we're going to do a flashback, how old was everybody? And you like kind of have to like make a little chart and we've got like things on the wall. Um, But then also like at that age, she wasn't very um, conversational, you know, one year old, you talk with them, but they're not like telling you about their day. And so we could sit there on the floor and play. And I was thinking, you know, about the characters, thinking about the story, but still interacting and playing. So it was kind of a, it was really just the perfect, perfect time in my life to do that
0: and so how does that compare to because you've written and finished the second novel Yep, and it doesn't come out until January so (laughs) we're all waiting but how was writing the second novel in comparison to the first one did you how did did you research differently did you write differently what was the biggest change for you the second time around
1: yeah, that's a great question. I feel like, um, as far as the plotting aspect of it, I was a little more familiar with, um, like at what part of the, what part in the story, certain things need to happen. Like I need to have the reader fully invested in this by like page 20. Otherwise they're going to be like, eh, I don't really want to read this, you know? Um, and so that just came a little bit more naturally as far as like where things fell. And I kind of in advance thought, well, where do I want there to be a plot twist? You know, because I like that in stories where you're reading it and it's like, I did not see that coming. And it's like, you just feel energized, you know, like how, why, you know, it it wakes you up. Yeah, it does. And if it happens like at 10 PM, while you're about ready to go to sleep, you're like, damn, I have to read for like 20 minutes. (laughs) Um,
0: so I'm very that. guilty of that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> One more chapter. So, um, so a lot of that was more planned out in the beginning, and um, I think that was really helpful as far as um, just knowing in advance what I was going to do. Then, when it came down to writing, it didn't actually take as long to write it. Um, and as far as the research, I had already done so much research, but this was a different. This is a year later. And there was different aspects. Like I talk about some stuff in the, um, Seattle public library, like the founding of it. Um, so that's a new kind of historical aspect that comes up in the second book. And, um, and so I think, I think it was a lot, uh, I, I don't want to say easier because it's the exact same work, but it was less stressful, um, the second time. And I didn't have a one-year-old napping. Um, so, and I also started teaching, um, I teach English at Highland college in Des Moines. Um, and so that I was doing that full-time and in-person back then. And so that was, that actually sort of gave me time as well because like, uh, my younger daughter was in childcare. And so, um, so like I would get done and I would have like a little break between classes and then I could sit down and do some editing, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that answers the question.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So do you feel like, um, well, I mean, I guess the first question should be, are you from Washington state or are you a transplant?
1: Um, I was born in Juneau, Alaska, and then um, I spent most of my growing up years in Washington. So I think from about six to 18, I was in Washington with one year where we moved to Washington DC for a year, but basically from six to 18, I was in um, Washington State, and then I came back in ooh, 2007. Um, when I was twenty something, and I went to Western Washington University up in Bellingham, and then um, yeah, and then my husband's in the army, so we've moved multiple times. Um, since we got married. So, uh, but we're back and we've been here for four years now and we're very fortunate to be able to, you know, be near family and we'll definitely retire here. So kind of transplant and grew up here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Um, do you feel like doing all of this historical research or just research in general about Washington state and Seattle, do you feel like it's given you a deeper connection to the area?
1: I, I don't feel like it could get any deeper. <laughs> you know? uh, it's just like uh, Washington and has always been my home. And so it's just, it's very um, like when I see Mount Rainier, it just feels like I'm home. You know, like I, when I was 18, I moved to Illinois and I was there for a couple years, but I would come back a few times a year, like for holidays and summers and stuff. And it was just like, I would get off the airplane And, you know, get in the car with my mom and I could see the mountain and it was all raining and cold. And I was just like, I can breathe again, you know, which is just, you know, it's weird. Illinois is so flat and so yellow. And then you get here and everything is blue and you've got the mountain. It just looks huge. When you come back, it's huge, you know, and it's just, uh, it feels wonderful.
0: No, I know exactly what you mean. As you know, I live in Austria and we live in a valley. So we're just surrounded by mountains. I mean, just everywhere we look. But I have the same feeling when I land in Washington and we're driving in the car. The second I see Mount Rainier, I'm like, I'm home. That's my favorite mountain. (laughs) Yes. I love it so much. It is. It's really nice. Yeah. So when you're not teaching, writing, doing all of those things, where do you, or how do you like to spend your time in your area?
1: Um, gosh. And when we're not in COVID, right?
0: <laughs> in normal circumstances. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it has been hard lately to kind of get out, but, um, one thing that actually our family, we had wanted to do over the summer was to do some hiking on Mount Rainier, especially as I was drafting some of the uh, book too, because I wanted to just really, it's so much fun to get into the, you know, atmosphere and what does it smell like? What kind of bugs are there? You know, everything, um, but then actually my family and I, we all got COVID in August. Um, yeah. So that was this epic like upheaval. And, um, so there was no hiking in August. It took a long time to kind of get everybody healthy. So, um, so that was just completely missed this summer. And, um, We still want to go do that because there are a lot of like family friendly hikes because I have a nine year old and a four year old. So, um, there's so many areas that's just, you know, accessible and you can just go and walk around and be on the mountain, but not like, you know, in the snow summiting with alpine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not going completely crazy.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, um, I do want to be doing more hiking, but right now it's just not really much of an option. Um, which brings me to, um, I did a lot of working with Charlotte Austin. I don't know if you've heard of her, but, um, she summited Mount Rainier. She's a mountain guide and she summited Mount Everest, just like all the, she's very, very talented and incredible. And she, um, teaches some online classes about like, uh, for women getting ready to summit mountains or who just want to be mountain climbers. Um, so I, I met her and we worked together and she was one of my editors for this. And she actually wrote the foreword for book two, um, which I'm really excited about because it's so good. Um, So yeah, so she helped me with a lot of those details because no, I did not get up on the mountain um, while I was writing book two. But
0: yeah. Not hiding out on a fire lookout somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when I was preparing to interview you, because reading the book, it sparked especially about Faye Fuller. Um, Obviously, it's not her story, but it is parallel. And it's talking about summiting Mount Rainier as a woman. I got really curious trying to figure out how many women have summited Mount Rainier. And... I don't know if you were able to, but I have not been able to find any conclusive information about the number of women. Mm. Um, I did find documents, I think, leading back to 1848, where it shows how many people tried and how many people succeeded. And it was really interesting because in the beginning, it seemed everyone or nearly everyone that set out to do it actually succeeded. But then in the last like 10 to 20 years... There's been like 10, 11,000 people that try to do it, but only five to 6,000 actually manage it. <gasps> Which when you think about the history of then a woman back then summiting Mount Rainier, what that means, I it makes it even more impressive. Yeah. And then to read your book, adding to that as well, it kind of, it's very surprising. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. There's um, a book that Charlotte recommended to me called The Challenge of Rainier. um, And it's got a lot of um, really specific details of like people who tried to summit. It's got like historical data and stuff. So I don't think that there's like a summary of like how many women have summited, but um, that would be a good one to like count them up, (laughs) you know?
0: I just wrote that down so I can look at it later. Yeah. So... Thank you so much for being on today. I had a great time speaking with you. Yes, you too. And your second book comes out January fifteenth. Yes, in light of the sun. Okay, and we will be linking that on our page where people can check it out and pre-order. Are you doing pre-sales?
1: Yep, pre-order for the um, the paperback copy. You can get the ebook on Amazon, but you can get the paperback from my website. And I actually set up a coupon code just for your podcast listeners. So it's just explore all caps, and it will get you 20% off either book one or book two or both.
0: Okay. We will definitely be linking that in the information below for anyone listening. Thank you so much. Of
1: course. Thank you.